0: Since the fall of the Indonesian New Order regime in 1998, there has been a steady rise of Islamic popular culture in the nation. Muslim consumers and producers have cultivated a mediated domain where they can encounter commercial entertainment through the prism of spiritual reflection and piety. In Gender and Islam in Indonesian Cinema, Alicia Isharuddin explores the development of the Islamic film genre with specific focus on gender representation. Indonesian cinema throughout the New Order era focused on Muslim characters, both men and women, frequently framing them in nationalistic ideals. But after the record success of 2008's film Aya Aya Cinta, or Verses of Love, the viewing preferences of Indonesian Muslim audiences were met with a slew of Islamically-themed films. These often contained the repetition of formulaic tropes and symbols deemed Islamic. In order to sell out the box office. In our conversation, we discuss the characteristics of the film Islami genre, the importance of gender analysis and feminist methodologies, the role of women as actors and filmmakers, idealized masculinities, the public piety of celebrity actresses, producing a good Muslim, bad Muslim narrative dichotomy, films about the famous Wali Songo saints, and mediated public Islamic values in contemporary Indonesia. I'm one of your co-hosts, Christian Peterson, and thanks again for listening to New Books and Islamic Studies on the New Books Network. Without any further delay, here's my conversation with Alicia Isharudin about gender and Islam in Indonesian cinema. Welcome, Alicia. Thanks for joining us on New Books in Islamic Studies. I'm really excited to talk about uh, your wonderful book, Gender in Islam in Indonesian Cinema. Um,
1: how are you doing? I'm doing very well, thank you.
0: Yeah, so this is a, a, a wonderful book. Um, I think it, it tackles a lot of uh, contemporary questions that um, often get missed because, uh, it, at least in my case, a lot of times people dismiss popular culture, dismiss uh, specifically film as kind of a a relevant field to understand what Muslims are doing, how they're thinking about themselves. Uh, So it's a wonderful book, and I think you you really did a wonderful job. Thank you. So um, before we get into the book itself, um, we always start with a little bit about our authors. So could you tell me a little bit about um, how you got interested in uh, studying Muslims, studying film, what what brought you to where you are?
1: Sure. Um, so I have always been a film buff. Um, I've, always been, I've always been interested in film. Um, and for me, my entry into studying Indonesian cinema came out of my interest in studying gender in Southeast Asia. And one of the things, you know, as you were saying, that the studying of popular culture in Muslim societies um, doesn't quite occupy like a central place in Islamic studies. Um, And I would try to sort of argue otherwise by saying that, you know, by looking at um, sort of media consumption and media production in Muslim societies tell us a lot about like what Muslims are thinking and how they express themselves through art and culture. And it does tell you something about like this concept of everyday Islam as well, you know, and it's about um, how, um, and one of the things that's really interesting for me is that through film, it's one way, it's a kind of storytelling. It, it tells us about the kind of stories that people tell each other, and then when you put that you know in a context where islam is a very important element in their lives it tells you a lot about how islam is sort of interpreted in the everyday so it's it's a number of combinations as to why i got really interested in this particular topic and of course you know there's this other thing when i started watching all these different films the films themselves are incredibly fascinating and I think in a way, I don't know how how true this would be. It's just that Indonesian film itself, is an, it's a fascinating film industry. Um, and when you look at Islamic filmmaking um, cultures, they are able to engage with the diversity of Islamic um, themes that are probably a little bit unusual in the Muslim world. And by focusing on Indonesian cinema and Islamic filmmaking in Indonesia, it will give us, it will give us, it will make us sort of pay attention to Indonesia in sort of um, the Muslim world more globally, because there is a sense that Indonesia occupies somewhat of a uh, periphery within the Muslim world. It's not quite so central and yet Indonesia has among the biggest Muslim population in the world. And I think it really deserves a lot of attention.
0: So um, how did this project uh, start to develop for you? Uh, you know, you bring together uh, kind of film studies, scholarship, um, but then especially uh, uh, kind of gendered uh, uh, analytical lens um, and even th- feminist methodologies. So where did all these pieces uh, come from? How, how did this project develop as a book for you?
1: Sure. So um, my book came out of my PhD research um, at the School of Oriental African Studies where um, I was in gender studies and Southeast Asian studies. And when I was looking for a project to work on for my PhD, um, the Indonesian film industry underwent a really interesting period. Um, So we're talking about a time um, that was um, a decade after the end of the New Order regime in Indonesia. So the New Order regime between 1966 um, to ended in 1998 with the fall of General Suharto's uh, dictatorship was characterized by a period of um, sort of experimental democratization. And this was a period in time in which um, all sorts of sort of um, repressive regulation on the media, um, repressive approaches to how political Islam was regulated in public sphere, all of that kind of ended with the new order regime in 1998, and um, and this was also a period of time um, after the cataclysmic events of um, 9/11 in 2001. So we have a, a number of sort of global and local political and geopolitical um, sort of events taking place within Indonesia. And it was also a time when Indonesians were very concerned about their image in the world as Muslims, and they were very determined to sort of use film as a medium to sort of portray themselves as, in one way, a lot more moderate, uh, a lot more democratic, um, and they were using film as a way of contrasting themselves um, to um, Muslims in the Middle East and Muslims elsewhere, and, and as we're saying that here we are as Muslims we are very peaceful, and which is why a lot of the films that came out of Indonesia, especially during this period after 1998, um, portrayed Indonesians abroad whether in the Middle East or um, in contact with the West, to say, here we are, we're Indonesian Muslims and we're very peaceful. Um, so it was also a response to the rising Islamophobia that was coming out at the West, uh, especially in Europe um, after 9-11. So a lot of the films came out that came out out of this period engage with a number of issues that address these changes in the local and geopolitical situation
0: now this this idea of Islamic film as a as a genre um, for for some listeners might sound uh, <laughs> new might sound strange um, so what what exactly how do you how do you define uh, an Islamic film genre what what would you say are the main features um, and why do you think um, Indonesian Muslim audiences find these appealing
1: sure so um, this is a question that I sort of uh, started out with when I was doing my research and um, a lot of times when I spoke to filmmakers they were quite keen to tell me that when films with Islamic themes were being made it was very important to use film as a vehicle for Islamic teaching for proselytizing but this we're not talking about films that were directed at a non-Muslim audience to to make them, to sort of entice them to join Islam. Rather, here we're talking about a medium that was directed to mostly a Muslim audience and as a way of sort of um, to help encourage um, piety, to enhance their religiosity um, through like a positive Islamic message and so which is why in a lot of the films that were made, especially during the 1960s throughout the New Order, even after the New Order period, we see a lot of films in which we, we have a Muslim, we have Muslim characters who are kind of on the verge of uh, moral collapse. So they're always sort of their, their piety and their Islamic identity is always kind of under threat. And this is a way of showing, you know, there are solutions into improving their piety and religiosity. And they're kind of thrown into a number of situations. Um, And usually it's a film that would tell you, you know, this this is the best way to be Muslim. So, um, so, and I guess what's really interesting about these films for uh, Muslims in Indonesia is that it's targeted to like a family audience. So it, it was a way to sort of encourage the entire family to come and watch because, um, as I was saying, after the New Order um, regime ended, it was um, a period where uh, the media censorship um, became a lot more relaxed. And we were talking about a time when a lot of film and other types of uh, media formats were making films that had a lot of violent and sexual content in Indonesia. And so people were incredibly concerned that um, people would be sort of influenced um, by sexual and violent content in Indonesia after 1998. So with the making of Islamic films during this period, it was a way of sort of like protecting um, the Muslim population from these kind of... um, immoral influences in the media. So Islamic film as a result played a number of functions. It was a way of enhancing piety. It was a way of protecting Muslim families um, who were by this time becoming very discerning um, consumers of media content. And we're also talking about a time when there was a lot of interest in public piety Um, during this period of Islamic resurgence after 1998. So sort of Islamic consumption in terms of what kind of media you consume, what kind of films you watch, what kind of clothing you wore, all of these things were kind of influenced by sort of some kind of Islamic symbolism. And watching films was no different during this period. So it was very important that the kind of film that you watch at the cinema sort of was in a way clean, wholesome, and had the potential of enhancing your religiosity.
0: Um, so uh, much of what you do in the book is think about uh, representations of women um, and then also the role of, of women filmmakers. Um can can you tell us a little bit about how women are generally portrayed on screen? Um, perhaps what factors uh, shape or inform these these patterns that we see? Um, and then uh, what 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 role do women filmmakers play in uh, either continuing or uh, kind of disrupting these these representational patterns?
1: Sure, absolutely. so. Um, I would want to start with a film that pretty much define Islamic cinema. Um, and it was a film that was made in 2008 called Ayaya Jinta or Verses of Love. And I think this is the important starting point when we want to talk about Islam, gender uh, and women in Islamic cinema. And, um, and because this was the film that you would say that this is a cultural touchstone Um, for Islamic cinema in Indonesia because it was the first film in which um, we would see veiled female characters in film. And this is in 2008, and no other film prior to this portrayed women wearing the hijab or wearing the veil in Indonesian cinema. So there was a lot of discussion as to why the portrayal of women in the hijab sort of um, appeared rather belatedly in cinema, um, because women had been veiling in Indonesia for many, many years prior to that. But there was something about cinema as a medium, and we're talking about a big budget film. We're talking about a film that would sort of reach not only sort of millions of audiences in Indonesia, but it became a film that was very important regionally as well um, in neighboring Muslim-majority countries in Southeast Asia. So if I just give you, like, a, um, a quick sort of synopsis of the film itself, it's a film that was based on a novel uh, by Habibu Rahman. Um, and he was interested. So he wrote, he wrote a story in which a man, a young man who was studying in Egypt, um, and he was from Indonesia, and he was studying in the prestigious University of Al-Azhar. And while he's there, he sort of gains the attention um, of four different women. And all of these different women were very much interested in him. And so he is sort of stuck with deciding who he would like to marry. Um, And the film became really interesting because it was also the first film that engaged um, with the issue of polygamy in this rather romanticized way. Um, and it wasn't in any way condemning polygamy as well. And so, um, And it was also a film that portrayed one of these female characters who wore like the niqab, which is the face veil, who is also a love interest in the film. And so this guy is faced with this dilemma, sort of choosing between four different women, and he ends up marrying two of these women um, in a polygamous marriage um, and but the but the film ends with him and this lady who wears the face veil and it, it ends in this rather romantic monogamous way. But the film itself sort of said you know it had a very positive commentary about polygamy, which was really rather unusual in Indonesia at the time. Um, so for this very reason, the film was also quite controversial because it reflected a period in Indonesia where attitudes towards polygamy and the treatment of women was changing. So if we go back to the New Order regime period, um, it was a time when sort of religious piety was, you would say, not quite so public. There was a lot of repression on political expression of Islam. Polygamy was restricted. It wasn't forbidden, but it was sort of stigmatized. It wasn't seen as something very positive. However, after the new order period, attitudes were changing towards a number of Islamic issues. And it was a time when sort of um, issues regarding women's status uh, and position in society um, in Indonesia was also very much discussed. And it was mostly seen through the lens of like women's status in Islam. And if we were to look at the literature on gender and Islam in Indonesia, the issue of polygamy itself has become such a major sort of like, um, how would I say, it's like a focus of debate. And so the film was a place, it was sort of like a forum, an arena in which people were discussing sort of women, women's position in society um, in a way that was very romantic. Um, at the same time, it was also a way of positioning um Muslims from Indonesia on to sort of the global landscape as well, because it was a way of saying, you know, Indonesians are quite peaceful. Um, They're able to sort of engage with issues that are difficult, such as polygamy, uh, in a way that wasn't seen as sort of repressive towards women. Uh, because these were women who were quite willing to enter a polygamous relationship with this man. And so um, And the film was so successful that it had, it sort of generated a whole host of other Islamic films during that very period. And in my book, I talk about how this film sort of triggered the golden age of Islamic cinema. And from that film, all sorts of other films related to polygamy, um, sort of interfaith relationships between men and women, uh, issues regarding heresy, issues regarding terrorism, homegrown terrorism, um, and other issues regarding women's rights became sort of something that was discussed. So um, in all of the films from the Islamic film genre in Indonesia, um, the sort of the role of the female filmmaker isn't quite so central. In fact, I think there were just a couple of films that were made during the golden age um, of Islamic cinema that were made by women and there's something about male filmmakers uh, of Islamic films um, who manage to sort of, and I think it's a question of um, access to resources to making films that are big budgeted. Female filmmakers tend to make films that are smaller in scale um, they tend to make films that are aren't so commercially successful, except for a few, a handful. And a handful would be um, a really well-known filmmaker during this period would be uh, Nia Dinata, um, who has made films, numerous films, that talk about issues related to polygamy, transgender identities. um, And she has managed to sort of transform the cinematic landscape in Indonesia And she's become a kind of like, um, like a mentor for all sorts of other filmmakers in Indonesia ever since.
0: Now, um, when we're thinking about uh, women uh, and this kind of jumps ahead in the book, um, you also talk about kind of the, the the off life uh, or the off screen life of many um, female actors. So, um, could you talk a little bit? I found this is one of the most interesting parts of the book. The, uh, these Muslim women film stars, basically. So, how do how do actresses kind of cultivate uh, an off screen persona, and what do you think uh, this this stardom can tell us about the intersections of uh, Islamic values and a kind of mediated public sphere?
1: So. I think one of the interesting phenomenon um, produced um, that came out the Islamic film genre in Indonesia is the creation of this Islamic film star, the Islamic female film star. And I think it was particularly interesting mainly because what audiences um, in Indonesia were very much fascinated by were sort of like you would say the off-screen lives of these women. Um, and I think it comes out of the fact that um, maybe there is this idea that the identity of the actresses themselves should somehow reflect the characters that they play in the films. And when we look at the films um, with women characters, they they tend to sort of have this rather two-dimensional quality about them. So it's either that they are really sort of moral, pious um, women who who don't have any sort of, you know, sort of interactions with male characters um, that were inappropriate uh, or you have the opposite sort of slightly immoral female characters and usually these are not played by women who wear the hijab, for instance, because the hijab seem to sort of symbolize um, sort of piety and innocence. Um, so So going back to this interesting phenomenon of the Islamic film star, um, it was only something that had only emerged during this post-New Order period. So we're talking about from 2008 onwards. Um, Because prior to that, there have been um, this kind of media phenomenon where female actresses who were really popular during the 1990s, who starred in films that were seen as, you know, sort of quite sexy but they were determined to sort of transform their offline identity to become so-called like born again Muslims. So we're talking about female film stars who hadn't worn a hijab, who were known in their careers to be to start in films that were seen as quite, um, quite sexy films, and then they did they denounced their past lives as actresses who had a reputation for playing these kinds of roles. And they make their transformation in public um, sort of very, very sort of like public in the sense that it's um, they wear the hijab, they're reported in the news to have gone on on a pilgrimage to Mecca, and then sometimes they take it even further by becoming Islamic singers, Um, so With the rise of the female film star um, during the post-New Order period, there is no sort of like narrative of, you know, to this born-again Muslim identity. So rather it's kind of like they are already um, pious. They are already wearing the hijab. They had no sort of like prior immoral lifestyle that they had redeemed themselves from. So in a way, this is really sort of quite fascinating because there is a sense of conflation between their public and their private lives. And this is sort of made, um, I, I suppose you could say, it's enhanced by a media landscape where there is a lot of gossip magazines or a lot of gossip online websites that are sort of constantly reporting about the private lives of these film stars. So as a way of sort of consolidating this Islamic film star uh, identity, um, they, they, they used sort of overlapping um, interacting sort of media uh, formats as a way of enhancing their Islamic identity as film stars. So they would be not just film stars, but they would be singers. They would sort of produce these albums with a uh, few Islamic music, Um, they could be, um, they could be modeling hijabs for different Islamic designers or in, in a lot of cases they would have like a website in which they would sort of, um, you know, it's like a fan website in which they would say, you know, this is, this is what they're up to. These are the kinds of things that they have been, um, promoting. Sometimes they would be like a patron for different kinds of charities, And these are all are meant to sort of like consolidate this image of the Islamic film star. And I suppose what's really interesting is very gendered as well, in the sense that it's usually female film stars who are like the focus of this sort of the Islamic film star, much more than male actors. But there's like a long history as to why women are sort of, um, the focus and, uh, rather than men. And I think it just comes out at the fact that, you know, as, as female actresses, you are so, you know, you're subjected under, like, a lot more public scrutiny um, in terms of how you're behaving in public uh, much more than men. So that's really interesting, um, you know, as, as part, of, part and parcel of the Islamic film genre in Indonesia.
0: Now, um, I I don't want to skip over it, even though uh, we kind of went out of order in terms of the way the book's laid out, but uh, you do spend a lot of time on um, thinking about New Order Islamic films um, and specifically in relation to um, kind of how masculinity and femininity is uh, defined or portrayed in relation to notions about uh, the nation. Um, So could you tell us a little bit about... um, you know, what types of films were being made during this period, um, and how do they outline uh, ideas about how to be uh, a Muslim? Sure. So the
1: New Order period from 1966 to 1998 um, was a period of developmentalism under the rule of General Suharto. And so the kind of films that were made during this period, um, the Islamic film that were made during this period, were mostly films that sort of, closely aligned themselves to the to the idea of nation, the, the nation and nation, um, sort of nationalism. And this was a way, it was a kind of savvy way of making films um, by filmmakers who had to go through a great deal of bureaucracy to make their films. So as a way of getting their films made, they had to make sure that it was sort of properly uh, adhering to the sort of the government sort of, regulation on how to make films. and one of the, one of the rules was that the films had to sort of have this kind of um, order disorder and order resolution sort of cycle. So if you were interested in making a film about Islam during this period, it was, they were also filmmakers were also subjected to a number of rules as well. So there you can't make films about um, Muslim prophets you can't make films that represented sort of important sort of Muslim um, figures in Islamic history. Um, and um, so it was a way instead, so filmmakers found a way to sort of circumvent this issue. So one of the popular ways um, was to appropriate um, the history of Islamic figures in Indonesia and sort of appropriate their stories as a kind of nationalist story. So one of the films that was very successful during this period was called um, The Nine Holy Men or uh, Wadisongo. And it was um, and it's a film that sort of retold the stories of the original founders of Islam in Indonesia. And we're talking about sort of 15th century, 16th century uh, founders of Islam. And they have the status of saints in Indonesia, and they're very much revered. Um, and so they their their stories are kind of retold through the cinematic medium during this period. But what was really interesting, though, is that even though they are historical figures um, and they're founders of Islam and they have a saintly status in Indonesia, um, filmmakers thought it was incredibly important to sort of appropriate their stories as sort of like they are nationalist um, sort of figures as well. So the stories themselves are around sort of the story of conflict between uh, non-Muslims and these sort of Muslim heroes. And, um, and so it usually ends with something that's really quite sort of obvious, um, and ends with like a speech that tells that these these historical figures they should be a, a sort of a source of inspiration for us to sort of uh, uphold national ideas um, of progress, of developmentalism, of order, and. In the end, you know, you can't escape from sort of the Indonesian flag flying by the end of the film in these kinds of films. So, um, so that's sort of what one of the defining characteristics um, of films that were made during the New Order period. Incredibly nationalistic, very sort of inward looking compared to the kind of films that were made during the post-New Order period, which maybe we want to talk about.
0: Yeah. So, um, what other what other shifts and changes do we see in this kind of post new order uh, moment in terms of uh, the kind of broader field of Islamic films?
1: So, um, when the new order regime ended in nineteen ninety eight, it was a moment for Indonesia to sort of to to rethink sort of ideas of nationhood, um, ideas of democracy, what it meant to be Muslims in the world. And a few years after 1998, um, with the event of 9-11, and followed by the Bali bombings in 2002, it was a moment of reflection for a lot of Muslims to sort of like to, to recast Muslim and to recast Islam as a positive, peaceful force in the world. So the idea of nation is sort of still there in, in films of the, new order, uh, the post-New Order period, However, it was a kind of like an outward sort of look. It was less to do with sort of like internal issues. It was more kind of like this transnational engagement of where Indonesia was positioned in the world. And like as I, like as I was saying, that Indonesia tends to be seen as situated at the periphery of the Muslim world, despite the large numbers of Muslims. Um, and so... A lot of the films that came out of the new order period, the post new order period, were films that sort of wanted to rethink um, not only position of Muslims in Indonesia and the world, but also a popular theme that came out um, during this period was the issue of sort of homegrown terrorism. So after the the Bali bombings in two thousand and two, in which around two hundred people were killed. Um, the Indonesian government sort of had to find a solution and strategies to sort of like control um, what they saw as homegrown terrorism in Indonesia and so um, and the film was seen as an incredibly important medium as a way of sort of like um, engaging with this particular issue and a recurring theme during this period is sort of like this misrecognition of um, Muslim men especially as potential terrorists. And the film sort of has a very similar kind of very sort of recurrent um, theme in which the misrecognition is sort of like corrected by the end. So we have characters who are misrecognized as terrorists and then they're locked up and they have to prove themselves to be Sort of good Muslims, they have no intention of sort of any kind of terrorist um, desire, and um, and these are all sort of com- contrasted and compared with those who are seen as far more dangerous. So, what's really interesting as well during this period, during the post-New Order period, is that the comparisons between good Muslim and bad Muslims were also in a way internal and external. So. Um, in a sense that it became a little harder to tell who were seen as bad Muslims because now um, the more pious you appear doesn't necessarily mean that it makes you a very good Muslim. So there is a sense that, like this kind of excessive piety, especially especially the sense that this excessive piety came from a place that we're not, we're not seen as Indonesian or very indigenous. So there's also this kind of xenophobic vibe that comes out of the films during this period as well, in the sense that Islam that came from the Middle East was seen as perhaps contaminating to indigenous ideas of Islam in Indonesia. So we find in the kind of films that were made during this period in which the Arab men especially was seen as sort of the other to the Muslim Indonesian men who, in a way, represented the good Muslim, the peaceful Muslim. Um, And this was a strategy to to yet again show that, you know, this is the place of Indonesian Islam in the world, Uh, even though it occupies a peripheral place, however, it sort of promotes this idea of moderation, democratic, and a lot more peaceful. So, um, So that that that's how we see this kind of transition in terms of like narrative strategies and the kind of themes. We see a lot more transnationality, but also we see a lot of anxiety in terms of like internal debates um, within Muslims, within Indonesia that it became a little harder to tell who was considered a bad Muslim. There was a lot of othering that you don't see at all um, in the new order Islamic film and the other in Indonesian films during the post-New Order period were mostly kind of external, um, international others that came from the outside um, of the nation. So these kinds of themes still continue to sort of percolate inside the Islamic film genre even today.
0: Well, um Alicia, this, there's so much you do in this book, um, and you, of course, right, we didn't get to go into all the ins and outs of the, the various films that you look at. Um, I wish more of them were available to to watch, um, you know, for, for listeners and myself. <laughs> um, I'm wondering if you could tell us a little bit about the, the kind of things you're working on now.
1: Sure. Um, so... I've kind of moved a little away from um, film studies uh, in Southeast Asian, Indonesian film, and but I'm still very much interested in sort of ideas of like how Muslims tell stories to each other, especially Muslim women tell stories to each other uh, as a way of coping under um, what is called like the bureaucratic strain of Islamization Um, in Southeast Asia. So I'm currently interested in this idea of the bureaucratization of Islam. And it's a way of um, resolving this debate between this power struggle between secularism and Islam in the public sphere. And as a way of explaining um, why is it that Islam, sorry, why is it that religion hasn't quite disappear from the public sphere even as secularism beca- becomes a lot more powerful. So bu- bureaucratization is seen as a kind of marriage between secularism and religion in the sense that bureaucratization allows Islam, especially to sort of um, to be spread out in the public sphere in a lot more efficient way. And it's a way for politicians and political leaders to sort of legitimize and consolidate their power using religion as a symbol um, and as sort of like a form of control. And one of the effects that I'm arguing um, of the bureaucratization of Islam is this sort of emotional asymmetry um, between men and women. So under the bureaucratization of Islam, we find that Sharia laws themselves have become bureaucratized and and it creates this sort of like um, rigidities and inflexibilities of interpretation of Sharia law um, that sort of puts a lot of women at a disadvantage. Um, And so I'm interested in how women find ways of coping. I'm interested in sort of like text tactics that women use under these kinds of conditions. And so because I have a background in film and media studies, I found that women tend to sort of use storytelling. Um, They use sort of uh, fiction writing, love narratives. Um, They're readers and writers and publishers of Islamic romantic fiction. And one of the themes that come out over and over again in romantic, film, uh, romantic fiction by Muslim women writers is a way of coping um, with a lot of issues um, related to polygamy, um, men who use um, Islamic dogma as a way of exerting their entitlement and dominance in a marriage, And I see this all as an effect of this sort of increasingly bureaucratic forms of governance uh, in society um, rather than just sort of um, an effect of Islamization um, in in places like Indonesia and Malaysia. So the project itself is still kind of in its early phase, um, but, you know, there's a lot of really interesting themes that are coming out. Um, And I guess it just comes out, It sort of like contributes to the bigger literature on ideas of resistance and agencies and how women cope and find strategies to live under sort of difficult situations.
0: Yeah, it sounds wonderful. And uh, it does sound complex and uh, (laughs) like it will take you some time. So good luck uh, as you work through all those uh, important topics.
1: Sure.
0: Thank you. And thanks for uh, making the time to talk about this wonderful book. Congratulations.
1: Thank you, Christian.
0: Thanks for listening to New Books in Islamic Studies. It was my pleasure to speak with Alicia Isharuddin about her wonderful book, Gender in Islam in Indonesian Cinema, which was published in 2017 by Paul Grave.